0: This is
1: Michael Woodward, and this is season two, episode 52 of the Jumble Think podcast.
0: T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1.
1: Welcome to the Think Podcast, a podcast focused on telling the stories of dreamers, makers, innovators, and influencers. Along the way, we'll give you some tips and ideas of how you can chase your own big ideas and dreams and change the world around you. Our guest on today's episode is Chad Fry. More about Chad in a moment. On our next episode, our guest is Jarl Jensen. Now let's jump into today's episode with Chad Fry. <laughs> Hey there, welcome to the Jumble Think Podcast. My name is Michael Woodward, I am your host, and we have an incredible episode lined up for you today. Before we get going, I want to encourage you, wherever you like to listen to podcasts, head on over there right now and click that subscribe button. You can find us on all the normal places like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeartRadio, anywhere you like to listen to podcasts. If you like iTunes or Spotify, we've done something to make your life even easier. All you have to do is go to jumblethink.com slash iTunes or jumblethink.com slash Spotify. It will take you right to the app, right to the page where you can click subscribe and you can become part of our regular listeners. Mean the world to us if you do that. So head on over, click that subscribe button and never miss an episode of the Jumblethink podcast. Now let's take a moment and learn about today's guest, Chad Fry. Our guest today is Chad Fry. I'm super excited to have him on the podcast. Chad, thanks for coming over and being on the podcast. Thanks so much, Michael. We are going to dive into what you're you're doing and how it impacts community. But first, we want to learn a little bit about you. So tell us your business name and your role at the business. And then at the larger sense, what your business does.
2: Sure. Okay. So my business name is Partnership Planners, LLC, at least that's the legal parent company. But because we're a software company, we kind of operate under the radar. And most people would know our social enterprise effort, which is called the Foundry Makerspace, and that's really more of a public kind of engagement with local schools where we're trying to put tech into schools. So that's just a little bit of background about the company. Um, Partnership Planners is really a project management tool that I started when I was at a college here locally called Messiah College. When I was working with uh, community partners, and we really didn't have a way to receive really well their requests with what students were interested in doing and what faculty were trying to do with their courses. So we kind of built this thing from the ground up, and then I realized, hey, this could have some other applications, and I asserted my intellectual property rights and got them. Okay. (laughs) And then uh, started the company, and uh, probably our biggest client right now
1: is the United Way. Okay. All right. Very cool. Now, you mentioned that you have multiple facets to this. You've got the software end, and uh, I'm I'm assuming that's web and that kind of thing, or is it beyond that? Well, this is a lot of database backend stuff. So this
2: is really a form creator. Yeah. So what we're actually doing is trying to create an easy way for people to receive a lot of data, walk it through somewhat of a logic model as they're planning projects. And then get people to sign up for those projects, and, uh, and actually engage people in them, and monitor that. So we're looking at impact indicators. This is a kind of a one-stop shop for a project manager okay. who's trying to do community engagement.
1: Oh wow, wow, that's. Sounds much more complex than what I originally thought when I was reading uh, what you do and everything like that. So that's super cool. Now, for you, as you started the journey of transitioning from being a college student into the world of business, how did you or when did it start, that 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 draw to entrepreneurship and starting things and doing things instead of going out and saying, hey, I can go work at whatever corporation and fill a space Instead, you're creating a space. So how did that journey start for you?
2: All right. Well, I'm going to back it up a little bit. Okay. So I All grew, right. So I grew up in Lancaster County. Yeah. And I grew up on the farm. Home of the Amish? Home of the Amish. All
1: right. <laughs> I'm up... assuming you're not Amish. I am but... <laughs> not Amish.
2: No. If your listeners could see me, I've got cufflinks on. Yep. <laughs> but um, yeah, I grew up in Lancaster County uh, and uh, sold hay to the Amish. Wow. But my uh, my family was involved in uh, kind of business. So... We were... Have you ever heard of Turkey Hill?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grocery... Not grocery, but gas stations. Yeah, and the mini gas Mart, stations. That kind of
2: mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Ice cream and tea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my great-grandfather started Turkey Hill. Okay. And my dad was the vice president. Uh, my grandfather ran it for many years with his brother. Wow. And so I grew up around business. That okay. That was kind of like, you know, my background. And uh, loved it. Okay. actually always thought I wanted to grow up and take over the, the family business. <laughs> um, and... Uh, then I felt really as a senior in high school, had a conversation with my youth pastor. Okay. And he pulled me aside and just asked me what I was doing with my life. And I was like, you know, this is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Business administration. Want to go to Messiah College? And he, he had a long conversation with me and basically said that he saw gifts in me um, related to ministry. Okay, And then, honestly, within the next two weeks, unrelated conversations, people started... Talking about ministry, wow, and really got me thinking: Is this a coincidence? Is what's going on here? So, I actually went to school kind of with a business fallback as a minor was what I was thinking. Okay, but I was Christian education. That's what I declared and wanted to be <laughs> a youth pastor. Wow! So for four years at Messiah, um, I was in the Biblical Religious Studies department. I'm a humanities product. Okay, and loved. What I was doing, I was also the youth pastor at Dillsburg Brother in Christ Church. All right. And uh, I really came to love people and came to love the connections with people and, and how people make meaning. Okay. That was really, really important to me. Yeah. So fast forward after my work in the church, uh, after I graduated, I was about four years doing ministry and church work. Okay. And then I came back to Messiah as a residence director. Wow. Do, you know, do you know what a residence yeah,
1: director is? Yeah, they, they manage the the spaces in which people live, yeah. maybe a specific building or floor or whatever. Yeah, it's kind of like a live-in pastor, sort okay. of, Yeah, uh, slash disciplinarian, slash <laughs> everything
2: else. Um, but it was great. I loved it. I did it for four years. Okay. And then I worked and pivoted to development where I was managing a grant on vocation that was through the Lilly Foundation. Okay. It was a $2 million grant. Wow. And we were exploring what vocation meant for Christian institutions, and okay. um, faith-based institutions. yeah, uh, The Lilly Endowment gave out uh, $2 million to 88 schools across the country. Oh, wow. So we were part of this great cohort, and I really loved it. But you can't engage in something like that and not start to ask questions about your own vocation. Yeah. So I started to wonder, you know, why am I still in high, Christian higher ed? And <laughs> uh, landed on, I, I'm there because I, I want to serve God and I want to serve people. That's so cool. I think the purpose of education is to serve. So I uh, was privileged enough to be able to apply for the position of the director of the Center for Service Learning. Okay. And I got it. And I worked there for 10 years directing that center. Wow. Um, And it was through that that I was building partnerships on behalf of the institution. Okay. And uh, that's where partnership planners came from, you know, trying to solve a problem in our own workflow. Yeah. uh, Towards the end of my stint at Messiah I was involved in a federal initiative okay. uh, through the Obama administration yeah yeah called uh, together for tomorrow All right. and the purpose of that was to figure out how institutions of faith can come alongside struggling public schools wow and support student achievement yeah
1: yeah so, so important
2: i love that yeah and really got i took a deep deep dive into public education in Harrisburg and started to feel called to build capacity in the school. And while I love the college, there was a lot of great <laughs> things going on there. And right. I felt like it was time for me to move move into capacity building work. So honestly, like the, the pivot out of higher education was one of a continuation of a calling okay. to serve. Yeah, And it just started to use the technology and the database infrastructure to support capacity building initiatives outside the college in the community. Um, and then doing more intentional work in schools, which is where we started the the foundry maker space.
1: That's really cool. So you've gone through several seasons of life in which you're going for right now, I'm a youth pastor. And then you go in and you're like, now I'm kind of like a campus pastor. You're, you're on the campus and then you transition into the place of business and how things flow and getting into the community, which is just an extension of ministry And now you're doing it at a larger level where where you're combining uh, what's happening at the local level in schools with business. We're going to dive into all of that in a little bit uh, in segment two. So we're definitely going to come back to that. But it sounds like for you, this journey has been one of unexpected turns and where you're thinking you're going one direction and now you're going a different one. Throughout that entire history, throughout that entire time and all of those seasons, maybe can you tell us one story where you just look and you go, ah, I find significance in what I'm doing and and seeing the impact that I'm making uh, either at a business level or an education level or even in the life of youth.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, anytime that light bulb goes on for somebody and a connection is made or they make connections with something, that really fires me up. So, for instance... I taught a little bit when I was at Messiah. Okay, and I had a student in my class. Yeah, and she was really struggling with um, some of the real difficulties overseas, uh, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, and the poverty and uh, famines that were that were plaguing many many communities. Yeah, and she felt like she wanted to drop out of school, and we talked about that. You know, the sense of she really she really was struggling with this urgency Mm -hmm. of. Suffering in the world. Yeah. And trying to make sense of, like, well, why am I here learning about theory and learning about power (laughs) and learning about these, you know, kind of abstract things? I really feel called to serve directly. And uh, she was of a particular theological tradition that was more, um, uh, I'd say, Pentecostal. Okay. And uh, so she really understood terms like the Holy Spirit and the devil. Uh, and things like that, okay. And so, in her conversations with me, you know, I just looked her in the eye and I said, um, "Did it ever occur to you that maybe the devil's trying to cut your head off?" Okay. And she's like, "No." <laughs> what do you mean by that? And I said, "Well, really, um, quite frankly, if uh, if you can separate your head and your heart and your hands, then y- you're really." Disempowered and disembodied. Okay. Um, And part of what I think education is doing is trying to put those things back together again. Okay. So we need to use our head, we need to use our theory, we need to use our hands, and we need to be guided by our heart. But those things need to be connected. And when we make those connections and when we understand why there is, you know, the geopolitical forces that are at work that cause poverty. Yeah. Um when we when we can understand the issues with aid and international development work, then we can really start to move the needle on some of the the biggest questions and issues we face. But um we can't do that without a real serious reflection of connecting our head hands and hearts. Okay. And so when I see that happening in ministry, when I see that happening in service, and when I see that happening in schools where kids are Particularly through project based learning, you know, they're 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 making something and all of a sudden they have this sense of like fulfillment. Like, mm-hmm. I did that, I made that. Um, I can see they're they're like the lights coming on and they just there's an empowerment that goes on there. Yeah. Yeah so yeah, those those are the things that really get me up in the morning. It's that sense of making connections and
1: aha moments. Wow, that's powerful. As you're doing that, you are impacting many people around you at different levels in those moments where you're in what you're doing. It's so easy to be distracted by the everyday things. How, how do you take those times where you can really see the need, see the conversation that should happen and make sure that it happens when you're talking to a student or a business leader or a, a community leader?
2: Yeah. So, uh, really listening is, you know, for me, um, the key in like on ramp into those connections. Yeah. And to making those connections. Because you gotta understand where people are coming from, what they're wrestling with, what what's going on in their lives and what they're facing, what they're up against. Yeah. And so for the private sector, they're up against certain things that may not be all that different from what higher ed is up against or what the church is up against, but they'll frame it differently. They'll use different words. They're in different communities of practices right, and right. contexts. Right, they have their so, own lingo. That's they exactly have right.
1: Way of talking and that's right.
2: And communicating to that's each exactly other. That's exactly right. Okay. So um, when you listen and you can kind of distill, like, hey, this person's speaking this language. Right. Like my student was speaking some of what they call Christianese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when I can pick <laughs> up on that and I can use that language to to make the connection. Right. Uh, then that that's powerful. Right. Um, but if you flip, th- flip the script and think about like social enterprise and, and social entrepreneurial work and impact indicators and how people are making the connections through big data and, and how you're moving the needle on, <laughs> all, you know, all those catchphrase kind of right, things. Right. Um, then, you know, sometimes people can really feel as though one, they're heard and understood. Yeah. And then two, the things that you're really sharing with them. Um, are coming from a place of understanding yeah. and coming from a road that's been traveled before.
1: Yeah. Okay, so we're going to pivot here, and and we've got two more questions for this segment, and I want to make sure we we cover them because they're, they're really significant. The first question is, what is one challenge you're currently working to overcome in your own business, whether that's partnership planners or foundry makerspace or even the community engagement uh, liaison work at Messiah? What's one of the challenges you're having? Yeah, so they're legion. <laughs> the
2: challenges are legion. Which um, means many. Yeah, For those right. who might not know that <laughs> <That's>, lingo there. <laughs> many, many. Um, but, uh, you know, i just, it just give you a technical challenge at okay. the moment, okay? Yeah. Uh, one of the big technical challenges is how people use technology yeah. is very, very different than how people design technology. Okay. So the, the they call it UI, user interface. Uh, and right now what we're trying to do is people use partnership planners and the software in a number of different contexts, often in ways that it wasn't actually intended to be used. Okay. And so the language in partnership planners, uh, to help people through it sometimes just doesn't make sense. Right. So it's not easy to kind of address the the <laughs> multiple ways that people are trying to, uh, work on project management. Um, but. We're trying to do the best we can and trying to really understand and find language that crosses uh, lots of different contexts. Yeah. Um, And we're trying to do that by more visual things like icons and things that are maybe not text-based. Yeah. When you start to get international and you're working with folks that don't speak English, (laughs) like that's another whole dimension of complexity. yeah. But um, user interface is a a big one. I think think the other one from a more like... uh, Just a psychological or social challenge. Okay. Is in the schools really understanding how systems work. Okay. And the kind of things that systems produce. So, for instance, Harrisburg is a struggling school district. Yeah. And uh, many folks would say it's not really delivering on its promise for an excellent education. Right. Half of students don't graduate in yeah, some cases. Which is crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. Um, and not not proficient. Um, and and so you wonder, like, well, what's going on? Who can we hold accountable? And, and what, wh- what why is this happening? But when you really take the deep dive in, you start to see there's multiple layers to yeah. something as complex as public education. There's not one person that's responsible. <laughs> they, there's there's a whole um, metrics of um, communication challenges, and uh, clarifying who's responsible, who's accountable, who needs to be consulted, and who needs to be informed about different you know issues or programs or initiatives. Uh, that is a big one. So communication is huge across a very complex organization where roles are not often clear.
1: Okay. Okay. Love that. And there's a lot to dive into more there. We're going to do that in a moment. What is the next big goal you have for your business or for the things you're working on? What what is that thing that you're just seeing hanging out in front of you and you're just going, I got to get there. What is that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, right now, what's really energizing me is this idea of a regional STEAM ecosystem. Okay. So, when I say STEAM, many, many of your listeners would know about STEM, right. science, tech, engineering, and math. Yeah. STEAM is with the arts. Yes. And the arts kind of hold all that stuff together. Yeah. So, what we're looking at is how in the greater capital region can we pull together a cross-sector partnership? Yeah. Using this model called collective impact, yeah, to move um, particular indicators that we want to see in the capital region forward, yeah, and we need to use people from government, from from faith communities, from nonprofits, from business communities, uh, from media, yeah, museums, libraries, higher education, 8 right to twelve, the whole nine yards. So we we uh, putting them in a room. <laughs> talking to them, uh, getting you know, kind of throwing throwing some things up against the wall. Maybe we'll talk about it a little later. Yeah, um, you know it's this idea of a maker manifesto, right? But um, yeah, there's 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 a vision that I'm throwing out there, and I'm
1: trying to see if it lands with people, right. So, so good. And just to clarify something for those who are listening, when when we're talking about Capital Region and Harrisburg, we're talking about Harrisburg, Pennsylvania in the Capital Region, that, uh, what is it, Tri-County area, Cumberland, York, uh, Dolphin, that whole space there.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a good point. I think there's another Harrisburg in the United States. Yeah. And uh, we, apparently a while back, they had like a hurricane or a tornado come through. (laughs) So the Harrisburgs
1: pulled together and we were like sister cities there for a little bit, but... Super cool. We'll be right back with Chad Fry and get more into this topic of makerspaces and social entrepreneurship, education, and changing our communities. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll be right back. Hope you're enjoying today's episode with Chad Fry as we talk about makerspaces, education, and social entrepreneurship. Super fun. If you're loving today's episode, I have a couple other episodes of the think podcast that you may want to check out. In season one, episode three, our guest was Steve Trindad. He is the head of a makerspace out in Southern California, doing some really cool stuff and also taking that makerspace into the world of education. It's a great episode. I think you'd enjoy that one. Another episode is Season 1, Episode 18, with Joshua Martin. He is uh, a surfboard maker. He actually builds surfboards from raw wood. It's a super fun episode as we talk about making things and working with your hands. And finally, one other episode you may enjoy is Season 2, Episode 29, where I dive deep into the the world of communicating your big idea— If you are in education, if you are a maker, if you are an entrepreneur of any type, you have to be able to communicate that idea so that others can grab that vision and become part of your story. So I share some tips and ideas and how you can make that a reality, getting your idea shared to the world. Now let's continue the conversation with Chad Fry. We are back with Chad Fry. We're gonna get into the topics that we we teased in the first segment. We're gonna go deep. I want to start out, you mentioned STEM and STEAM at the last part of the, the segment one, and the difference between them in that uh, STEAM is bringing in the arts as part of that, that uh, ecosystem of, of all the different elements of, of school and education, learning, and how that impacts the next generation. Why are the arts so significant, and why do so many leave that out? Because it seems to be one of the first things that gets cut. It's one of the first things that uh, is devalued. So why is that with the science and engineering and math and all of these different sciences and technical aspects of things, uh, why do the arts need to be more of an an integrated partner in that scheme?
2: Yeah, there are are lots of reasons, but I'm just going to start and and you can break in any time. (laughs) But basically, STEM. yeah. Holds nicely together, yeah, because it it really focuses on instrumental skills, okay, and technical kind of uh, ways of knowing, right?
1: Things you can measure, quantify, exactly right. understand, Positivist, logical, yeah, yeah, very
2: logical, okay. all, all
1: that jazz, yeah.
2: Which is great. Empirical yeah. stuff is outstanding, and okay. and I'm 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 all for that, okay. <laughs> However, what separates us from machines? in many ways is that we know not just rationally, yeah, but we know affectively as well. Okay. The arts remind us that we're human beings. Okay. Not human doings. Right. So the arts is like this glue that holds together some of this more instrumental and technical ways of thinking, but actually brings it into a deeper way of knowing and connection for people. Right. And in many ways, you know, throughout human history, arts are are, are what we make. Okay. You know, we, we make art. We make artifacts. Yeah. That's, that's kind of at the core of who we are as people. So the arts remind us uh, that we are, in fact, human. Okay. Because <laughs> increasingly that's getting more confusing. Yes, it is. Um, and, and I think they also have a really interesting prophetic and social justice angle on things. Okay. Because they do remind us that we're human, and they also— Point out where some of our science, tech, engineering, and math mm. has been very harmful, okay, and and things that we need to be paying attention to, yeah. Uh, so that's in some ways kind of the postmodernist <laughs> angle on modernity.
1: So, so the arts bring human community. It brings uh, interpretation. It brings in kind of the fabric beyond what science can explain it brings into uh, the human element into that whole s- picture is that basically what you're saying yeah that's right and it makes connections between okay. stem yeah, okay so it's like the
2: glue okay. to some extent that, that pulls these things together and it, it's it uh, it holds things in yeah. really important ways and and i would say also brings kind of an aesthetic of beauty yeah. and wonder yeah to our science tech engineering <laughs> and math You know, there's there's this dimension of it inspires us, right? So that that that's really critical, I think, and it's to the detriment of us all when the arts are cut, whether they're cut out of public schools or they're cut out of the conversation when it comes to science, tech, engineering, and math. And quite frankly, any serious scientist would probably talk about their work in terms of art. Okay, serious
1: mathematicians probably talk about their work in terms of art. Yeah. So good. So, so good. I want to broaden this conversation a little bit further. Uh, STEM and STEAM both are uh, tools that are being used in uh, K-12, through right? And so often we have been in this season, and I think it's culturally from the top down, from government, from business, where we're looking for the easy blame or the easy solution, and many of the issues that we're facing, especially in uh, K-12, uh, uh, is uh, not something that's easy to answer. And instead of blaming or trying to look for the, the simple solution, we need to be seeing and solving problems. How can we stop being in a a system in which we're focused on the blame game or incorporating bias so much and having to be right, step past that and say, hey guys, there's a bigger problem. And together we can make a change here.
2: Yes. So I think that's a critical question and that sense of stepping back uh, to look at some of the bigger things that are going on, yeah, it would do us all really well, especially <laughs> when we have these conversations about budgets, right, and all that jazz. Yeah, um, so I, I, I really do think that f- first of all, we know a lot about education. Okay, we know a lot about how people learn. Okay, and so for just just case in point, we know when you increase class sizes, it's damaging to. Edu- the, the teacher-student ratio. Right. The, the lower that ratio is, the better the interaction, the better attention. Well, that costs money. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, when we start thinking about how we have set up education, particularly public education, on an economy of scale, mm-hmm. we, we right away can start to see, hang on a second, there's some things that might not be working here. Yeah. Um, Cardinal Newman, way, way back in the day, said about universities – uh, that they're not foundries or mints. Basically, they're not kicking out widgets. Okay. You know, we're, not, we're not making machines yeah, yeah, yeah. out of these students. Yeah, we're, we're human beings, and that means human beings typically don't fit into systems super great.
1: Right. So <laughs> we,
2: we, we can't systematize this away. Right. It's formulaic solutionist thinking, yeah. which, honestly, the business community is like really known for. Yeah. Hey, problem solved. Yeah. We'll figure this out. Well, when you're talking about people— Uh, this is a totally different, like, uh, challenge. And and education, uh, we do know a lot about how people learn, but we we really need to think and go back to those experts. Yeah. Those teachers among us, those researchers among us and and say, what do we know? And then let's try to set up a system based on what we know, not based on can we save a buck? Yeah.
1: Well, and it sounds like that our current system is becoming, and this is a broad stroke uh, uh, comment. That's probably not fair or right, but I'm going to make it anyway. And Go for it. Uh, <laughs> you know, we all hear about the cattle farms where it's like a billion cows sitting in a pasture, uh, being fed uh, processed grains and that kind of thing, instead of having the space to roam and that kind of thing. How do we get back to a place where? Uh, you know, you look at the 50s, you look before that, and, and it's always easy to uh, make things look more beautiful when you're looking back and being nostalgic about it. But how do we get back to this place where we're seeing people instead of seeing organizations? Because it seems like so often uh, our verbiage and what we're saying is that we care about people and we won't, don't want to discriminate, we don't do, want to do all of this stuff, but that seems to, okay, I'll just say it. Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, instead of celebrating diversity and accepting diversity, it seems like we want to stifle that and we want to put everything into a box that says, don't talk about anything, because that's easier than saying, hey, you're different than me. That's okay. Right. How do we process that? How do we, as, as schools, get back to a place where we can really step into holistic learning, where it's not just trying to cram through... Um, uh, programs, but really seeing the individuals and seeing their, their gifts and their strengths and, and really empowering them to flourish instead of just going through a curriculum. Is great that a great question? question. <laughs> okay. It's a
2: great question. So I'm just going to, I'm going to use the context you started off there, that okay. agrarian ma- metaphor, yeah, you yeah. know, the cows. Yeah. Cause I grew up in Lancaster and yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I kind of feel you there. Yeah. Um, well ask a farmer About cow production Mm -hmm. and milk production. Yeah. And they'll say cow comfort is a thing. Okay. Cows, when they're comfortable, they produce more milk. Right. When they're not comfortable, (laughs) they don't produce more milk. Right. So, you know, farmers know if they take care of their animals and they take care of their land and they farm it well because they know it. Yeah. They have that local knowledge. Yeah. They know what's going to grow. Over here, and what's not? Yeah. So they've got that kind of deep, local affection for their place and their understanding Mm -hmm. that all of us would do really well to talk to our farmers about. (laughs) And in the same way, farmers will be the first people to say diversity is an essential good. Okay. You can't have life without diversity. Yeah. Diversity is by definition a good thing and a necessary thing for life. Okay. Now, take those two things and extrapolate them onto public schools. Talk to a local teacher, yeah, and ask them, what makes a student comfortable? Okay. What makes a student feel safe? If kids don't feel comfortable and they don't feel safe, they can't learn. Right. If they're not if they're not fed, if they're not getting the right kind of food they need, especially in their very early years even neonatal <laughs> right. their minds their brains are not going to develop in the way they need to develop Right. but we know this yeah our teachers know this our our human development and family studies folks know this um th- this is not new right yet we don't we don't ask the experts often about what we know about good education and similarly right. about diversity yeah I'm a big believer in public education because I'm a big believer in diversity. Okay. And I think we need it. Yeah. Um, other systems have not yet proven that they are capable at a scale. Yeah. To incorporate folks from all sectors of life. Okay. All races. Yeah. All ages. All classes. Why? Because we tend, those things tend to divide us. Yeah. And when education is built around where we live, if where we lived, and where we continue to you know, grow and, and raise our kids. Right. If those areas are separated out because of systems, then our schools are products of that. Yeah. We're we're no different. Yeah. So are our churches, so are all of our business institutions. And and we just have to start to back up and ask ourselves, hmm, why do we all look the same? Why why <laughs> why are we not attracting new people? Well, maybe it's because you're a product of your place and you never really thought about it.
1: Yeah. So so good. Let's broaden this a little bit. Uh, talk about the social social responsibility of, of entrepreneurs and businesses because I think so often it's easy to say that's their problem or that's their fault and not realize that, especially in education, especially in community, it takes everyone. And you know, there are those people in government that say businesses should have a voice of an individual, and there are people who say businesses should – uh, not have an opinion, just do your job, and you know, shut up. But it really seems like the 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 corporate world, and especially especially the entrepreneurial level, should be having more input and more uh, investment. Into future generations and into these schools. So, how do entrepreneurs specifically play into education and being part of that narrative that that really helps students understand the potential that they could reach?
2: That's a great question. Um, I think by definition, entrepreneurs think outside the box, right? You know, so like one of the great strengths that entrepreneurs bring to the table is that they have this knack for not getting caught in their, their systems, mm. you know, like they, they, they're, they're pushing outside of that in really unique ways. So whether it's business or whether it's education, entrepreneurs can think differently about things and right. can reorder relationships. They can make connections where other people haven't made those connections. Okay. And I think that's critical to thinking about how the business community and the schools need each other yeah. because they really do need each other. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and so often we're saying, you know, let's segment these sectors. Government shouldn't be in, you know, involved in this and and education shouldn't be involved in this and business shouldn't be involved in this. What is going what is it going to take to begin to you know, just the the image I get in my mind is at the end of the Cold War and there's the wall in Germany and Reagan's like tear down this wall and then the people there's this tipping point in which they, you know, the government's ripping down the wall, the people are ripping down the wall, everyone's involved in tearing down the wall that divides and they see a new freedom there. Hmm. So how do we begin to chisel away at that wall at the individual level, at the, the entrepreneurial level, at the educational level, at, at all of these? How do we as individuals really say enough's enough, Let's move forward. Let's break this barrier and start seeing real change in these spaces to bring hope, specifically to some of these urban settings where they don't have the resources. They don't have uh, the, the, the caring hand or whatever it is that is unique to that environment uh, for each individual community. How do we break down that wall and start really seeing uh, sustainable change?
2: Yeah. So I'd say three things. Okay. One, we have to understand where the wall came from. Okay. Okay. Two, we've got to understand why it still stands there. Yeah. And three, we got to figure out who keeps building it. Okay. So, I mean, before we jump in with picks and axes and break that baby <laughs> down, um, I, I think what what will happen is it, we can we can work away, but at the same time, there are forces that are rebuilding it just as fast as you take it down. Right. So, I think some of those things are where where are these walls? What are they? Where do they come from? How do they get here? What sustains and perpetuates them? Um, and and once we've identified that, let's start to root that out collectively. Right. One thing I could say straight away is w- w- with regards to schools, particularly public schools in K through 12, Yeah. is that we can't outsource our schools. Okay. We can't outsource education. So for instance, it's not enough for mom and dad to just drop the kids off at school and say, teachers, you guys sort that out. Yeah. Um. Quite frankly, sometimes it's not it's not even mom and dad right being able to take them to school. Um, and more and more folks are having multiple jobs. Yeah. And school as it stands traditionally just doesn't fit with lifestyles. Yeah. We're moving around a lot. Yeah. People are highly mobile. Um so, you know, as we think about some of these structures of involvement. Ernest Boyer says, it's not the schools that fail. It's the partnerships that fail. Wow. So the idea that the schools are their own thing, they got (laughs) to sort this out, the teachers got to sort that stuff. We all as a community have a responsibility to educating our children and the next generation. That's critical. So I feel like that might be a place to start is like stepping up to say, hey, um, I'm going to own some of these walls, I'm going to find out where they came from, I'm going to find out why they're still here, and I'm going to find out who keeps building them. And it's in my
1: neighborhood and it's in my community, so it's part of my responsibility. Right. So it sounds like there's multiple things that need to happen, but one of them is we need to be talking about this more. Yes. So how can people who feel very isolated, they see the issues that are um, those walls that are being put up? How can we start engaging? What is it that they could be doing at a small level so they can start stepping into a larger level? How can they start taking that responsibility?
2: Yes, I'll just talk personally. Like, you know, um, my background in higher education and community engagement and my software – work, you know, and the data that we have, those are small steps that we're trying to have to have a conversation publicly. Okay. And also to bring data behind that. Yeah. So that it's informed conversation. Right. So I think at some level, um, really personally, we we need to we need to have these conversations. We need to have them with our neighbors. Right. We need to get to know our teachers. Right. We got to talk with the principals and the superintendents and the board members. (laughs) But we also have to have the data that backs it up. Okay. Because we all have in, we all have opinions. Yeah. And and they're 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 out there. They're all over the place. <laughs> but folks that really know their stuff, uh, I think those are the folks that are actually looking for common ground. Okay. They're looking to make connections. And entrepreneurs who have to do market research, they know data, they know how to get this stuff going. If they're successful and work right. hard at it, right. Uh, and they're thinking very differently. They're making new connections. They are, they are precisely some of the some
1: of the right people to put out in front and say, hey, let's go for it. Yeah. So good. So good. Let's pivot here. One of the other conversations I really wanted to have and I'm excited to have is around co-working spaces and maker spaces. You lead a foundry market or maker space. I always say market space. I don't know why I do that, but foundry maker space and Uh, The larger picture of that is that there's also co-working there, and I'm a part of a co-working uh, office in Manhattan called WeWork, which I love, and uh, it's, it's such an interesting and great culture to be a part of. For you, how did this origin of saying maybe Harrisburg is primed to have a maker space, to have a co-working space, how did that whole evolution start for you? Sure. so
2: as it relates to the
1: co-working space,
2: um, a couple years back, uh, two of my friends, Adam Brackbill and Adam Porter, okay began what's called startup Harrisburg right and they they, they basically started out of a little little house like structure. <laughs> A co working space, right, uh, and tried to get folks that were like coffee house junkies, yeah, to, to get into a uh space where they could actually do some solid work and benefit from connecting with each other, yeah. Well, then, uh, a couple years later, a developer, uh, WCI and Alex Hartzler, um, came through uh, a building that had been vacant for about 10 years and, wow. and redeveloped it, okay, and went into uh, kind of a partnership with. We call them the (laughs) Adams and startup Harrisburg uh, was launched with the help of WCI and and others on the first floor of
1: this building. I've been there. It's super cool. That's That's the space I'm in now. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
2: And uh, so I then came along and I approached the Adams and said, hey, guys. Co-working spaces and maker spaces are matches made in heaven. Right. So what if we partnered together and I helped you put in a maker space that would be a value add for members and also start to attract and recruit and bring new people through so that's really how this got started. I can't take credit for the co-working spaces, but I can uh, say that we've been able to add value to them. And and really, kind of, it's been a great ecosystem for us to really model yeah. you know, some of the things we're talking about at a manageable and very practical level. Yeah. and you walk in there and you see people from – I mean, there's people from GitHub. There's people from Tesla. Yeah. There's folks that are independent web builders and marketers. Yeah. Um, there's a pastor that works out of there. Oh, cool. And so, like, you know, there's there's all kinds of different folks that are in this space. Yeah. And it's a little mini ecosystem. And then the the foundry is kind of making connections okay. between people, amongst people, and and helping bring some of those ideas into a material, right. a practical um, uh, product. So, for yeah. instance, that's where we start to get into rapid manufacturing and prototyping yeah. with 3D printing. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the stuff that we're we're playing around with. But for me, as a humanities guy, <laughs> um, what I love is the connections. Yeah, and that's that's I do believe that we make connections.
1: Absolutely. Now, uh, in season one of the the podcast, we had uh, Steve Trindad. Steve Trindad. Uh, from a makerspace in LA uh, who is doing awesome things on and they have a whole warehouse where they have tools and everything like that. Can you explain a little bit of the difference between co-working and makerspaces?
2: Sure. So co-working spaces are, you know, as the name implies, a place where you can go uh if you're working remotely or you're happen to be in a city and find a spot you can work out of and right. work with other people. Okay. Um Co working spaces that are intentionally in their design, like in designed that way, would often facilitate programming, you know, that actually works to connect people. Okay. But it could just be simple as you get a day pass, you go in, you sit down, you work away. (laughs) Um, Now, maker spaces are a little different. Maker spaces is where you're actually making something. Yeah. um, Or you're learning how to make something. So there's an educational dimension to maker spaces. We bring some of that programming. To a co-working space like Right Add the kind of things That connect people together Around making um, We're a particular Type of makerspace. Okay We're an educational Maker space Right
1: So you're bringing in Those connections with STEM And, and STEAM That's right
2: And yeah. we're working in schools Okay So um, if you were to come Into the foundry At Startup Harrisburg In Harrisburg, Pennsylvania Yeah Listeners out there Shameless <laughs> plug um, Please come by And check us out But you'd be, you might be surprised In the sense that we do not have, like, laser cutters and CNC yeah. machines yeah. and all kinds of woodworking there because uh, the kind of technology we're using is in a public co-working space. Yeah. It's quiet. Yeah. It's scanning. It's 3D printing. <laughs> it's virtual reality. It's, you know, uh, some paper cutting stuff. Um, but uh, we are we are really doing a lot of work in schools.
1: You also had a... End of May, early June, I think, a big event that happened in Harrisburg. Tell us about that.
2: We did. Yeah. It was called Makershift.
1: Yes, which is super cool.
2: Yeah, so Makershift, um, if if folks are familiar with the maker movement, right. they may have heard of Maker Fairs and okay. Make Magazine and the Maker yeah. Fair kind of trademark, that's yeah. a proprietary uh, thing, uh, has hit big cities and really shows off and celebrates makers. Here locally, we wanted to do something that was specific around highlighting and celebrating makers, but changing and shifting the public conversation around STEM and STEAM. Okay. And so we did it on 3rd Street in Midtown Harrisburg. Yeah. We connected six different venues. Mm-hmm. Our Our – Our startup working space, uh, an arts center, HMAC is what we affectionately call it. (laughs) Okay. A historic association. Yeah. Um, The Midtown Scholar, which is this fantastic, like, bookstore and cafe. Yeah, super cool. Yeah. And then the Susquehanna Art Museum. Okay. And then lastly, but not least, is the Broad Street Market. It's one of the oldest continuously operating artisan markets in the country.
1: Yeah, it's a combination of artisan market and uh farmers market yeah. and crazy good food and everything like that super super cool how are entrepreneurs really getting involved whether it's through maker spaces in Harrisburg through the co-working space how are they really stepping up to make an impact in Harrisburg because Harrisburg is a struggling city right now yes and there are people who are saying not my city I don't care what politicians are doing. I don't care what people who are struggling are doing. We're going to redeem this city. So how are people who see the potential of Harrisburg stepping in and saying, we're going to create a different future? So
2: Harrisburg has a great history. I mean, literally, someone should make a movie about Harrisburg. Okay. But um, it, it's, it's almost comical, the, the failed leadership, that we've had over the years in the city. Yeah. And it's precisely some of these failures that has led to young professionals and entrepreneurs to step up and say, "Hey, we can't rely on other people. Right. We've got to do it yeah. on our own with uh, you know kind of grassroots stuff." Yeah. So this resurgence and this edginess in Harrisburg is actually incredibly refreshing. Okay. It's really really cool. Yeah. So there's this young professional group that's been coming into Harrisburg over the years, growing and growing, um, really vibrant. And along with that are incredible creatives, um, really, really talented people. And there's this grassroots movement. It's like, we're going to make this city. Like, (laughs) we're going to make this city um, largely because we can't just simply give it away to other people because they have failed us. Yeah. So that, I think, is a really exciting Story, yeah. Um, and what I think is even more exciting is when that kind of grassroots movement mixes with leadership, yeah, and is pushing collectively ahead, yeah. So, um, there, there are a lot of really great things that are bubbling up. Harrisburg's really known for its restaurants, uh, great food um but these entrepreneurs who are who are out there and starting either it's you know at startup or it's the broad street market <laughs> right, or they're right. working out of their basement yeah. you know they're they're just they're just they're making it happen they're grinding it out yeah uh, there's a lot of artists um and it's increasingly becoming um a technical space for innovation
1: very 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 cool Before we wrap up this segment, I want to make sure that we take a moment so that people know how they can find and connect with what you're doing because uh, everyone can play a role. Everyone can have a voice and everyone can have significance in this story. And maybe for some, they're looking at it and going, hey, uh, I love what I'm hearing. How can I do this in my own community? For others, they may say, hey, I'm local. How can I get involved? How can I be part of this change or part of the solution? So how can they connect with you and really become part of that story?
2: Sure. Well, there's a lot of ways you can connect. Um, one is just come and visit us. You know, So if you're local, just come down to Midtown Harrisburg. Yeah. We're on 3rd Street, and uh, we're in the startup building, 922 North 3rd. But uh, if you're a little further away and uh, you want to virtually make a connection, there's a couple, there's there's three ways to do that. Number one, I would really encourage you to check out our Makershift website. That's okay. www.makershift.io, and on that website, you're gonna see a. It's an initiative, a project um, like that. You know that fair, that yeah. celebration. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but this is moving now to a. A regional ecosystem. Okay. And check out the Maker Manifesto. Uh, scroll down a little bit. You'll see the Maker Manifesto. Click on that and you'll read a vision statement there. And that's like my spaghetti on the wall. Okay. Like that's, that's, a, that's a vision for the greater capital region. Yeah. Uh, for making. If you like that vision, here's the low-hanging fruit. Just sign it. Okay. Uh, so there's a way you can sign it online. You can add your name to the growing list yeah. of people that are that are signing on to that vision. Yeah. And uh, check us out. Um, then I would also recommend checking out the Foundry. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and seeing the fellowship program that's there. Um, the, the Foundry website is www.foundrymakerspace.com. All right. And we have Maker Fellowship opportunities. Okay. Maker Fellows apply and uh, they're um, – interviewed. And if uh, you're accepted into the fellowship, you have the opportunity as a professional, whatever we have, architects, engineers, artists, you have the opportunity to be placed in a school and to Mm. work beside teachers and take that deep dive into education. So if you're a professional and you're interested in the stuff we've been talking about, but want a real practical way to take a deep dive, we'll get you in and we'll give you a first you know, front row seat to (laughs) some of the real challenges and how you can build capacity. So that's, that's, that's another way.
1: Very, very cool. We'll be right back with Chad Fry and our rapid fire questions. The passion of JumbleThink is to help dreamers, makers, innovators, and influencers change the world around them through making their big ideas and dreams a reality. One of the ways we do that is through the stories we tell on the Jumblethink podcast. But another way we do that is through the free guides you can download at jumblethink.com guide. We currently have two free guides you can go download right now. The first one is Overcoming the Unknown, and the second one is How to Know When You Found Your Dream. All you have to do is swing on over to jumblethink.com guide to download your free guides now let's jump into rapid fire questions with Chad Fry. We are back with Chad Fry and rapid fire questions. Chad, are you ready? I'm ready. For rapid fire questions. Bring it. All right. First question is what is one tip you'd give someone with a big idea or dream and they don't know where to start? Find a mentor. So good. So, so good. How can they find one?
2: Well, so I would say you have to learn how to find a mentor. Okay. It's, it's, I mean, the, the simple, the super simple way is find. Think about somebody you respect. Think okay. about somebody who you admire. Yeah, and just ask them. Pick up the phone, call them, text them, email them. But just out of the blue, just be like, "Hey, um, I want to talk to you. I want to take you out for coffee. Um, not in a creepy way, but like I want to talk to you about." <laughs> um, and, and be specific. Okay. So, in my experience of folks approaching me. Um, I I can better answer them or connect with them if there is a specific question that they want to ask me. It's also super helpful if you're really clear about your expectations. Yeah. You know, like, hey, I'd love to have coffee with you, like, once a week for a month. Yeah. Like, that's doable versus like, hey, forever and ever, can we be besties? Like, you know, that like that's not super helpful. Right. So, and I would also say there are different kinds of mentors. Yeah. I mean, you may need you may need someone to speak into more of the technical things. So, if you're like me and uh, you're doing a startup that has to do with, like, back-end database stuff, you need people who can program and code. Yeah. Uh, you need folks who can speak that language and understand user interface and yeah. all that jazz, designers. Um, but there's, there's also, if you're working in schools, you need a mentor who can say, yeah, I get teachers. I understand (laughs) their life and I can help you manage this and how to make connections. So find a mentor. So good. What is one change you'd like to see in the world? Oh man. So the big change I think is there is a incredible urgency Mm. in the suffering of the world. People are literally dying. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a, there's a clock going and the urgency and the resources we have to meet those needs is something that keeps me up so good. so those are the challenges is that the, the great deep suffering of the world yeah and just the finite resources that seem to meagerly like trickle in to to address these big big things wow wow
1: what do you want your legacy to be
2: Legacy-wise, uh, I'm a Christian, and, you know, at the end of the day, I want to be, you know, I'd love for my neighbors to say, yeah, he was a Christian. Wow. Um, I would love to be able to say um, I was faithful, mm. you know, that, that that was, that call, I might not finish it all, I might not get it all done, but that faithfulness to that, that's, yeah. that's the legacy.
1: Where do you find inspiration?
2: So inspired by a lot of things um, lately I've been inspired by really ordinary things in nature okay so um, like what like like wonder oh, okay and, and and I'll give you I'll give you an yeah. example uh, the other day Harrisburg has this great little island called City Island yeah and you can walk around and as I was walking around uh, it was a beautiful day out and I saw this egret Fishing mm, okay. in the shallows. Yeah, it was gorgeous. Yeah, and it was so elegant. And there's people all around me. Yeah, but this thing had found a, a little shallows, a little inlet, a little refuge, mm-hmm. and it was just doing its thing. And it was serene. It was incredibly elegant and beautiful. And it was a sense of that was inspiring to me. Wow, you know this this white bodied bird in a dark place and it was like wow wow Wow. it was like super cool to me
1: that's very cool what is one book that you think every dreamer or entrepreneur should read and why so one book that would be a really
2: good one it's just one can give two. All right, two. I'll give, you, <laughs> All right. I'll give you children's book first. Okay,
1: yeah.
2: Velveteen Rabbit. Oh, wow. Okay. Check out the Velveteen Rabbit, and uh, it, will, it will remind you of the things that are important. Mm. And then secondly, I would recommend uh, What Are People For okay. by Wendell Berry. All right.
1: What is one tool that is significant for the success of your business?
2: one tool that's really significant for the success of my business is the partnership planner. It's, <laughs> it's the software backend. Yeah. Uh, so if that doesn't work right, we're, we're not, we're not working You're too well. We're, 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 <laughs> yeah, we're, we're kind of done. I mean, literally I carry my, my MacBook pro around with me all the time. Yeah. So like, you know, that, that baby's a workhorse. I've had it forever. Yeah. Um, but that, that little laptop
1: does the job. It's amazing how one little thing like that can make or break you. It's incredible. And, yeah.
2: and if it doesn't do the job or if it bombs, um, you know, we... <laughs> we cry for days. It's bad news bears. <laughs> yeah, the other day, uh, the power went out at startup. Uh, yeah. It was a really bad uh, storm. And yeah. I think a transformer went. All of us just looked around. and was like, well, maybe we should go home early. Like, yeah. we couldn't get online. You know, so much
1: of our work is all online. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, wow. What is one habit that you find helpful in your life as an entrepreneur? So taking lunch. Oh, okay.
2: <laughs> like eating. Okay. You know, like uh, it's so easy for me to work through, uh, just keep working. Yeah. You know, just keep pushing. Yeah. Keep working and missing meals and, and, And it's not just so much eating food, like, although that's really important for energy and just to be healthy. Yeah. But like, it's more the sense of like eating food with colleagues and friends and Mm. people that you love. Like, you know, it's that sense of you've got to stop working sometimes to remember, okay, I'm a human being. (laughs) I need food to stay alive. Yeah. And actually, food is best eaten, you know, with really great people in community, right? So it's that sense of just building some of those things into life. Um, and and trying to keep the habit of staying focused on, yeah, you know, work is meaningful. It's inspiring to me, but it doesn't define me. How do you start and finish your day? So uh, unfortunately, I have my phone right (laughs) beside me. um, And, uh, you know, a lot of people may resonate with this, but my phone is usually the first thing I check in the morning and it's yeah. usually the last thing I check at night. Yeah. I'm not super proud to say that, but when you're doing tech work, um, you know, stuff can go down and you're trying to stay on top of stuff. Right. And I also think it's important to stay on top of what's going on in the world, but yeah. man, if that doesn't occupy a ton of mental space and <laughs> I just wish sometimes that wasn't the the normal first and last thing. Yeah, I, I, sad to say.
1: Yeah, I get it for sure. If you weren't doing what you're doing today, what would you be doing?
2: Man, I think I would probably be dead.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, this is what I would want to do. I, I, I would. I can't think of anything at the moment. I would rather be doing. Than what I'm doing. Okay. I, I authentically love my work. And yeah. I have such great privilege to be able to choose to do this. Wow. And I don't take that for granted. Yeah. There are lots of people that could not do the things that we're doing. Yeah. Um, and I'm very, very privileged to be able to live
1: my dream. <laughs> like, And I, I love it. Yeah. So cool. And speaking of dreams... Our final rapid fire question is, what is one dream you're still wanting to fulfill in your own life? So there's, there's a
2: picture I have um, where there's not the kind of dissension mm. in the world and uh, hurt and suffering and violence that I think when I'm careful and reflect about my own life, I see aspects of that in me. Yeah. And so I think that there's still a lot of work undone in me mm. that I need to unpack and because that's a part of the world. Yeah. And so I think when we repair ourselves or or we're really authentically wrestling with the shadow sides of a, of who we are. Yeah. That's actually good for the rest of the world too. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just good for us, but it's good for good for the whole. So there's a lot of work undone in me, <laughs> but I'm 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 willing to keep
1: at it. As we wrap up today's episode, I want to give you a moment to leave us with a final thought. So what would you like to leave us with?
2: Yeah, so my my final thought would be uh, try to make something today. Mm. You know, I just encourage you to go out and whatever it is, whether it's a, whether it's a little card or whether it's a cabinet or a desk or uh, something that's super small, um, just make something. And, and remind yourself you are not damned to be a consumer. Okay. You actually have the power and the efficacy to create mm-hmm. and with that creation i think maybe a little part of you comes out in that yeah and i also think there's a really deep knowledge that comes with what we make okay that you know what you made in a way nobody else knows it yeah. and it's special to you yeah so maybe make something and give it away
1: so cool chad thanks for taking time out today and sharing a little bit of your story giving us insights into education, and also about what it takes to be a maker. Thanks for taking time out. I appreciate it. You bet. Thank you, Mike. Once again, we want to thank Chad Fry for taking time out, sharing his story, and giving us insights into so many important topics. You can find links to Chad in the episode notes. In today's episode, we talked a lot about education and making and makers' spaces. I want to encourage you. We've lost something in our society about making things with our hands. So many of us work behind computers. I know I do. And we forget that we can make things, whether it's that chair or the IKEA box that we need to put together. Or for some people, they're making boats and crazy things. And I remember as a kid making a treehouse with my dad. For you, maybe think about that thing that you can take some time out for the next weekend or next month and begin to make something. Make something with your hands, something that will last, something that will be there that your kids can enjoy or that you can enjoy. But put your hands to something incredible. Make something. You'll really enjoy it, and it will be a learning experience for you. Thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. Now get out there, dream big, make those ideas realities, and change the world around you. Les mères de famille, les enfants, peuvent également prendre un moment revitalisant dans quelques mois, lorsque vous aurez bien saisi la technique que vous serez maître de votre corps,
0: vous pourrez vous décontracter même en travaillant.